Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'll be taking you on a journey to the world of martial arts and introduce listeners to some of the most aspiring and knowledgeable practitioners from around the world. Whether you're a seasoned martial artist or a curious beginner, or just enjoy hearing a great story, the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under has something for everyone. So tune in, sit back, and let us take you on a journey through the world in martial arts. Welcome back, loyal listeners, to the Mind Sensei podcast. In part two of our special series on Master Joe Rebello, also known as Kempo Joe. Greetings, martial arts enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'm delighted to continue our extraordinary journey with a living legend, Grandmaster Joe Rebello. If you've just joined us, you've missed an enlightening part one where we explored the roots of Grandmaster Rebello's martial arts journey and his experiences as the tournament competitor. If you've missed that, we encourage you to go back and listen to part one to set the scene for this extraordinary journey of a master of many arts. Today we're diving even deeper into the vast ocean of knowledge that Grandmaster Rebello possesses. This is part two of our three-part series, and it promises to be an episode bringing with insights, wisdom, and the untold stories of a true martial arts historian. In part one, we scratch the surface of Master Rebello's contributions to the martial arts community, but in this episode, we're going to unravel the layers of his role as a historian. Known as a walking encyclopedia of martial arts, Grandmaster Rebello has been a valuable resource, frequently quoted in text on the internet, and today we discover the stories behind the stories, the hidden gems of martial arts history that only master like him can unveil. So whether you're a seasoned martial artist or someone just stepping into the fascinating world, there's something for everyone in today's episode. Get ready for an enlightening conversation as we continue to explore the life and teachings of Grandmaster Joe Rubello. And remember, this is part two of a three-part series, so be sure to mark your calendars for the grand finale in part three. Don't miss out on the wisdom and stories that Grandmaster Rubello has to share. Without further ado, let's jump right into the heart of the martial arts history with this incredible Grandmaster Joe Rebello on the Mind Sensei podcast. And remember to stay tuned for the Mind Sensei podcast, where the extraordinary becomes the ordinary. Well, we finished the test, right? I get my kick. I'm so psyched. We get our certificates, etc. So my instructor at that time walks up to me and says, Joe, I got to tell you, you did really great. I'm, we were all very impressed with your performance. So Joe, tell me what about the test that you felt you did so well with. And I go, you, you want me to tell you honestly? He goes, yeah, of course. I said, when I came in, the door to the office was open and I saw Mr. Parker already signing the certificates. So I knew once he signed those certificates, all the pressure was off, so I could do the best. Man, was that the wrong thing to say? I made the mistake of being honest with him. That would cost me dearly over my relationship with him. So this is time number two. But I got my certificate. I'm fine. I'm happy. Everybody's happy with my performance. Another important thing, when I was in Pikesville at Joe Plonzo's camps, one of the things that Mr. Parker went over at one point was short form four. A lot of people say short form four doesn't exist. Really? Well, I got video of teaching a form that doesn't exist, so that's fascinating. Is that a single-sided long form? No, alternating. Now, there was an original version of it where, like long form four, halfway through the form you faced with your back toward the judges. One person reworked it so you could do all the techniques facing a panel of judges in front of you. And that's the version that he had Joe Palanzo, Mr. Parker, that year was suffering with gout in his foot. But he was explaining the format of the form, how it went from one side of the technique to the other. So you did the right side of protecting fans. You did the left side of darting leaves, etc. Uh, it's alternating opposite sides, right? Right. Single techniques though, right? Single technique. One technique each side. So 
I loved it. I was like, I compete in tournaments. This is perfect. You know, I was doing like short three and whatnot. And, and short three was a big deal. Because remember, nobody was doing it. I was the first person in the history of New England to compete doing Ed Parker's forms in black belt division and winning on a regular basis and being rated not only by the professional karate league created by Glenn Hart, but also the karate referees association of new England. And I actually got to do short form four in front of Mr. Parker. There's actually a picture. If you look far enough, you'll find a picture of me with my back turned the IKK across the back and Mr. Parker sitting there looking bored to tears on the panel. <laughs> yeah, I was in, and I was inspired. And I'll say it's right now. I'm not, I think I've ever really said it on video before, but I was inspired by Lee Wedley. Lee Wedley was my inspiration. He was competing and winning on national level doing Ed Parker's forms. I wanted to be Lee Wedley. I wanted to be able to do it for New England. And that's what I did. And I used to compete against people like Richie Brandon, who later on would become a yin yang man on WMAC Masters. I don't know if they ever went to Australia. Also, Hosung Park, who later would become the character Luke Kang in the first two video game versions of Mortal Kombat. I mean, these were the people I was competing against because if there wasn't a separate chemical division, which they tried to do in the late 80s, I had to compete in soft style with the Kung Fu guys because I was doing a Chinese system of Kempo. So that was impressive. I actually competed in a hard style karate tournament. It's a good story. You like this one. I used to travel up to New South Wales for work. It was a town of Newcastle. So I was, you had to fly into Sydney. This is in late 90s, I think. So I had, I think it was only like, in the 90s, there's only like three or four Kempo websites on the web. I was one of them. It was all hard coded. HTML, mid 90s, yeah. I at one point had the most comprehensive. Kempo link page on the net. It had been copied no less than 76 times by other websites. Because I was copying it, I would go and it, I was I was the place to go. If you were looking for Kempo and you wanted to find websites, you went to Kempo Joe's link page. Nice, nice. Well, that was what yeah, I PC wanted to. Back in the day. PC Wood was excellent. You know, that was one of them. So he inspired us. And I think mine was, I think it was a tripod come dot to forward slash Oz Kempo. OZ used to be my side. Yep. So, <laughs> so you probably remember that. I used to travel up to Sydney and then at that stage we just associated with Tom Cullen at the on I was on when we were just leaving Van Wyke. I went up and I spent time with Tom. He says, Oh, we're going to you know, I said, I'll come down and spend a weekend with you. I guess fine. So and he had these two students of his. And uh, he says, We're going to a tournament in Wollongong. I said, Well, I'll just come with you. I'll go to a tournament, no problem. But I had these ratty, dark blue tracky dacks with a white and blue stripe down the side of them. They were like homeless people pants, right? And I had my black gi, which is grey, right? Like grey, worn out grey. And I think I was a brown belt at the time. In terms of colour coordination, you couldn't pick the worst combination. You really look like a homeless guy with them on. Anyway, I took my gi top and I wore the tracky dacks and the belt and I put them in a bag and we went to this tournament anyway. So I said, so what's going on? You guys competing? They go, no, 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 we're, we're just here to look. We're not we're not going to compete. It's like, I went, what do you mean? You're here now. Let's just, I walked up to the table and said, uh, I want to compete. And I said, this is this is not for Kempo. This is hard style. Like I was there with this gray gi and like really, they're all crisp white uniforms. Right? White uniforms. I got a story yeah. about that one. Yeah, yeah. They're all crisp white, and I walk in like this homeless Kempo guy and said, I've come a long way. I said, Well, you should have registered two weeks ago. I said, Registrations are closed. I said, Look, I've come all the way from Melbourne. Can I just go in forms then? And she said, Fine. They didn't think I would do anything anyway. So I entered in forms and I was doing, because it was hard style, I went long two, you know, lengthened it out, made it look more traditional to fit their style. And I had my glasses at the time and I said to the guys, can you hold my glasses? And they said, no, nah, no, nah, we can't hold anything. I'm like, okay. So I left them on and went on, got on the mat. So here's all these guys, this little roll of white, crisp white uniforms and this homeless looking Kimbo guy on the end. Almost black and blue guy. Yeah, yeah, black and blue, brown belt, 
<laughs> just out of coordination badly. Gets on and I, I did long two. Anyway, in the middle of long two, I've got one, two, I've knocked the glasses. And the glasses. No. Yeah, I've knocked them. So I've got my glasses on, right? And I've gone bang, and they've gone like this, like that, right? Well, they stayed on your face. They stayed on my face while they were like this. And I did not, <laughs> and I did not stop. I yes, continued. Going, I, I continued. I finished the form, um, and then you know bowed, and then once I got off the mat, I adjusted them. Anyway, I, I got second place. Yeah, you got re- points for not moving the glasses, man. And then I thought if I didn't move my hit my glasses at all, I probably would have took out. And they were just so annoyed that this homeless Kempo guy had come to their traditional tournament and actually last minute competed. Didn't think I would do. They just wanted to take my entry money. End up coming away with a second place. I was still got the medal inside. It makes for a good story. Looked up right to the girl who gave me the attitude. I go, I just want to take a moment to thank you. Thank yeah. you for allowing me to compete because if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have this medal. Well, and it's a compliment, but it's yeah. also kind of shoving it in her face all at the same time. I, I think she knew that. <laughs> just like we shouldn't have even let him compete. But it was a good moment, you know. And it's funny that the other guys were. Funny I got two funny tournament stories based on that. So one, I mentioned earlier in my career, I was at a tournament in New Bedford for the AAU. A gentleman, John Almeida, Shotokan practitioner in our area, has been around forever. Ran AAU tournaments in the early 80s. And um, I had competed, and um, this is before I got involved in Kempo. Well, Mr. Parker's Kempo, 1981. So I'm doing a traditional Southern-style Kung Fu form called Luang Kune which I had learned through Leo Fong's book and his videos that he put it through PNRA Enterprises and working Southern style Kung Fu. So I do this form. I place. Now I should explain. I was at 12 tournaments. If there were three places, I get four. If there were four places, I'd always place out of the money. But I keep going to tournaments. I finally place. And I also spar. And I'm, I'm working actually place in that. I get, you know, I'm like, okay, great. I receive enough points to go to the AAU National Credit Championships, which that year were born held in Barnstable, Massachusetts on Cape Cod. So I'm like, great. So I pack my little Kung Fu uniform and I take a ride and get down to Barnstable and I come in and I see, after I changed up, a sea of white geese. Now, at the time, the person who ran the AAU for uh, Massachusetts was Glenn Hart who was mainly a Kung Fu practitioner. He had studied Shotokai as opposed to Shotokan in Europe and then got involved in Kung Fu when he came to the United States and learned Walam Kung Fu and Nanchuan and other styles and blended his own thing called Zhuzang Kundo, a natural and spontaneous fist way. But anyway, so I'm like the only Kung Fu guy in see the white geese. And of course, they're all there in you know, white pants and their blue blazers and white shirts and red ties. And I walk up to Glenn, Glenn, something you might want to tell me, where are all of your students in the Kung Fu uniforms? Well, he's in front of all his Japanese karate guys and doesn't want to talk to the Kung Fu guy suddenly. And I went, great. So I get this Korean guy walk up to me. Chris White Gee goes, we could wear Kung Fu uniforms. He says, I teach Southern Shaolin. Are you telling me I could have won? Oh, this is Oh man, if I had known this, I'd have brought my Kung Fu uniforms. So we start talking. He does Southern style Kung Fu. He goes, Well, what, what are you doing? Um, uh, well, I did, I was doing Limon Kung, but I actually was going to do Northern Praying Mantis Leapy from Eight Step Mantis. And he goes, Oh man, Limon Kung? He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, I've got a staff form I'm doing too. I learned it from Leo Fong, but I don't know the name of it. You don't know the name of it? No. He just lists as a Silum, Silum staff. Show me. They do the form. Oh, that's fisherman pole form. Yeah, it's got a whole story. Fisherman takes his cat, brings it. The fisherman casts the rod, reels in the fish, throws the fish on the deck, stun the fish, and everything. Like, really? So he goes over the whole dissertation on this. And of course, me, I'll write this stuff down. I don't want to lose this. I'm at the event. I want to do my northern style kung fu. Now it gets a straight line form back and forth. So I say, your judges, with all due respect, because of the nature of this form, am I allowed to face diagonally to perform the form? And they agree. So I I do the form, and I get from end to end, and I finish, and I salute. And as a sign of courtesy, I then turn and face the the front judge and bow. Well, the front judge gets up, and he wants to disqualify me. 
because I broke M. Bousset, starting and ending in the same place. And I said, no, I didn't. I faced on the 45. I bowed on the 45. At that form, the point of form was completed. I then, as a sign of respect toward you, the chief referee, turned and faced you as an additional sign of respect and bowed to you as that sign of respect. It's not being rude. It's being extra polite. You can't blame me. And thankfully, I knew the words. You can't blame me for having proper reishiki or kokoro. And the minute I used those two words, it was like, whoa. So what is it, reishiki okuru? Reishiki is etiquette. Kokoro is courtesy. Having proper respect and courtesy toward your judge and recognizing him, right? Here's one of the jokes. When in doubt, bow. You can never be faulted for being too polite. No one's going to fault you for having courtesy and etiquette and being proper and respectful. So when in doubt, bow. So I'm competing with Mr. Parker's forms, and we're at an event that's not run by a Kempo person, so they don't have Kempo Black Belt Division. They do have soft style. So I'm there with Richie Brandon and Ho-Sung Park, guy John Dufresne from Four Seasons Martial Arts in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the top-rated competitors, national. So I'm in my Kempo uniform. It's like, what's the Kempo guy doing here in soft style? And Richie Brandon goes, don't, John, don't start. Don't, don't start. Because I'm judging. But that's right. I wasn't competing. I was judging at that point. So they went to Kempo guy doing it. So they, they all perform their forms. And John doesn't win first place. Richie does. John gets second. And he's kind of, uh, well, you know, if you Kempo judges didn't know what you were talking about, it was like, excuse me. The form you did was Shafuyen. Little tiger swallow. It comes originally from the long fist system. It's also taught in the long fist praying mantis system. And Richie's going, shut up now. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You did three mistakes in the form. Allow me to demonstrate the entire form and show you the mistakes you made in it. Here I am in my temple, your form, and I go through the entire form. You made a mistake here. You made a mistake here. You made a mistake here. If you did the long fist version of the form, if you do the long fist mantis, then you should have this or the and and all Richie's going. I tried to warn you, I tried to warn you, and he's going. Why aren't you wearing a kung fu uniform? I sat there and said, I'm competing in kempo division. This tournament has a kempo division, but I am a member of the real Taiwan Wu Tang Clan, Wu Tang. From Grandmaster Yen Chao Liu and Jason Zhou, straight down. From Tony Yang and Adam Sure, I do six harmony, seven star, and eight step mantis. I do Ying Fu Bagua. I do Chen's Wu's and Yang's Tai Chi Chuan. You have met the enemy, and they are us. And Richie's just laughing. Richie's just shaking the actuator and said, Sure, you really put it to him. I said, Not new man, too. But he didn't know. So what did I do? You can live in, we have ignorance, right, Pete? We have invincible ignorance and invincible ignorance. Invincible ignorance is I go over something, I explain something to you, you realize it's wrong, you correct yourself. I was at an event one time and a particular particular was doing form four, long form four. And he did two things that were really different. So I walked up to the gentleman and um, I said to him, look, um, and it was a brother of a friend, a friend of mine, soon of an organization out there uh, where we were. And I said, "Look, I just want to talk to you." I, I said, "You differ, but you made a mistake here, and you made a mistake." Oh no! Well, that's the way my instructor teaches it. So I went up to his instructor. I said, "Excuse me, I was wondering. I watched this young man do four four, and I just was wondering why you do this and why do you do that?" And he goes, "Well, I've been doing kempo for X amount of years, and I have never had anyone explain to me." why we do what we do at that point in the form. Really? Yeah. Well, the reason why we do it is the logical progression of advancement in relationship to a circle. In short one, we move one quarter of a circle. We learn to move half a circle, three quarters. And in form four, we learn how to move three quarters of a circle moving around ourselves like we do in Dance of Darkness and also moving completely around ourselves in a full circle like the second side of shield and maze. 
That's why we do it. And for the first time ever in that gentleman's Kimple career, someone had answered his question. Do you know what his response was, Pete? Well, we're just going to leave it the way it is. Invincible ignorance. I can't solve it if you don't want it solved. Free for the Ed Parker. Well, Mr. Parker, can you do it that way? I don't know. Can you? And Ed Parker would never belittle anyone. That just was not his nature. Anybody who sits there and said, oh, Ed Parker gave me a major dressing down. Really? I knew the guy for seven years. I'd... Now, mind you, I wasn't sitting there at the, at the table at the house getting bounced off the piano or going over the white couch. I wasn't smashed into the, the Elvis cape and belt, belt plaque in the hallway. No. But man, I treasured every single moment I got to work with Mr. Parker. And that's where we go to the seminar story. And I talked about the guy who asked me, why do you keep going to the seminars? And I said, you know, I don't forget, Don Benedetto from Ninja World. And a great guy, wonderful person. He was a, he and his wife, if I'm not mistaken, were here today in Marion at an art fair that he comes all the way from Florida with his wife to, to do this stuff. You know, Don, there's a great phrase in the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, where Ted Neely, as Jesus, looks upon his apostles and says, move while you still see me, because you'll be so sorry when I'm gone. Two years later, Ed Parker was dead. Those are the moments where you take the time and you work with people and you study and you learn from them because you just don't know. I'm 61 years old now. Where's Bob White? Where's John LaTourette? Where's Pat Tracy? She just passed. Where's Al Tracy? He's gone. How many, where's Frank Trejo? I mean, I look at, I look at this wall my instructors. And uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a little thing here. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're dealing uh, with uh, audio content, what I'm doing is I'm showing this wall of respect that's on my uh, wall of all my various instructors. And there's a whole big, long wall of different individuals. One day, one of my own instructors, Carlos Ferrebrez from the Nindoru system, looks at me and says, take me off the wall. It's like, what? Take me off the wall. Why? It's a wall of dead men. I go, it's not a wall of dead men. There are several individuals on that wall who are very much alive. Thank you very much. It's like, no, is they on the wall? It's not the wall of dead men. That guy's alive. This kind of point of different individuals. Well, Carlos Fabrez has since passed away. It's his 30-year anniversary we just had on June 23rd. Move while you still see me because you'll be so sorry when I'm gone. And that's why we're doing what we're doing right now with you. We talked about your black belt. We talked about you meeting the founder. So when was the actual first time you met Mr. Parker? And then how did your relationship progress towards the end? I met Mr. Parker at a karate tournament. And there's a picture you can find where I'm in a plain black gi and I got the Inflato 80s here. Like I said, I got my wannabe George Michael look. And um, Mr. Parker's there in a three-piece suit and a tie and he's wearing that pinky ring. So that's where I first got to meet him. The first time I got to work with him was in 1984, I want to say. And that was at a seminar run by Kirby Marshall in East Greenwich, Connecticut. And you'll see a picture of Mr. Parker and me with a big Fu Manchu mustache and a Disco Dan haircut. And Leo's on the other side of the picture. And I think uh, and I'm a first degree black belt. And I have a very fairly short belt, almost a bow tie kind of belt. Yeah, that was the first time I got to work with him. Thankfully, thank goodness, I have several occasions over those seven years where I got, I either recorded or someone else recorded Mr. Parker working with me and demonstrating on me. There's a funny story. We're at a seminar in Rhode Island. And at the point, at that point, a gentleman, Joe Esposito, had just joined the IKK. And Tony Cogliandro and Don Rodriguez, who were the main runners behind the IKK at that point, wanted Mr. Parker to demonstrate on Joe Esposito. You can find footage of Mr. Parker working with Joe occasionally. Um, he was on a, a program called People Are Talking, along with a gentleman who later would become the host for Dancing with the Stars, an announcer and a show host out of uh, Boston. So the only Joe that Mr. Parker knew in New England was me. So... He calls me up and he starts demonstrating on me and explaining different things and et cetera. And, you know, Tony and Donna looking at him like, why is he working with Ravello? So on the break, they go, oh my gosh, 
The only Joe he knows is Joe Rebello. So on the break to go, Mr. Parker, you know, we, we didn't mean Joe Rebello. We meant Joe Esposito. Emily LaSalamo. Oh, that's different. But Mr. Parker also knew how badly I wanted to work with him, how badly I wanted to learn from him. Feel is to believe, baby. So he brings up Joe Esposito, goes over a couple things. Now I should, in deference to Joe, um, there was a large height discrepancy between Joe Esposito and Mr. Parker. Simply stated, it doesn't look good to be on a little guy. If you're a big, powerful Hawaiian, being up on this little guy is not going to impress you. So he works with him once or twice, and then Mr. Rebello and proceeds to work on me again. And of course, Tony and Don are, are laughing their asses off. They thought of my language. They, they think it's the funniest thing in the world, and they're roaring. They actually have to leave because they're laughing so hard about Mr. Parker smacking me. Never realizing that Ed Parker was giving me a lesson. Not just on how hard to hit me, but teaching his art from the founder and having him demonstrate on me. How lucky was I? And that happened many times over the course of seven years. I would follow him around, and I like to take notes and whatnot. Ed Parker Jr. quotes, uh, uh, I, I don't, not there anymore, sad to say, but Ed, Parker's, uh, Ed Parker Jr.'s website, at one point when he talks about the, um, the black, why we wear black. And we were at a seminar in New Bedford, Massachusetts. I remember Brian DeMello's school with uh, Justina Hall, who was one of the top tournament champions in the country at that time through the NBL, the National Black Belt League, the PKL, et cetera. And several things happened. First of all, I was asking Mr. Parker, I said, Mr. Parker, person walked up and said, oh, thank you, Master Parker. And Mr. Parker had the slightest hint of kind of rolling his eyes. Can't roll, but it's kind of, I said, Mr. Parker, why is it you don't like the word master? Well, Joseph, first of all, my only master is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Joseph, in order for them to be masters, they have to be slaves. And I never want any of my students to be a slave to me. That's an exact quote from him. Later on, when you talk about the black uniform, I said, Mr. Parker, what was the impetus on switching to a black gi from the white gi? So, Joseph, let me ask you a question. What color raiments do priests wear? Black. What color do the original police? You mean like the Keystone Cops? He goes, yeah, black. What color do judges wear? Black robes. Joseph, in each instance, you will notice that the color black is associated with respect and sobriety. The third one, I said, Mr. Parker, may I ask you, may I ask you another question? Well, certainly. What were your requirements to become a 10th degree black belt? Because, I mean, no one's going to award it to you. It's your system. I said, Joseph, I looked at different masters, not just masters of the martial arts, but masters of the given fields. Louis Pasteur, Madame Curie, Jonas Salk, Picasso, Da Vinci. What was it? that made all these individuals in their various fields be recognized and acknowledged as a master. Simple, a masterpiece, a piece of work or body of work that stood the test of time. In my case, it was the infinite insights into chemical series. That was my requirement for me to become a 10th grade black belt. These are the stories, Peter, that I have burnt into my memory. These are the stories. I'm not paraphrasing Ed Parker. I'm quoting him verbatim because I will never forget those phrases as long as I live. Very nice. Nice. I like it. And uh, Ed Parker Jr., when he put out the Ed Parker signature uniforms, he quoted that story of his father talking to me about Tell us something about yourself that nobody else knows, like a hobby or something that does not involve martial arts. Nobody knows? Yeah. Um, okay, I'll give you a few of them. One, yeah. I collect oriented weaponry. I have presently, we've got the last count, like over 2,000 weapons. Um, two, 
I collect Batman action figures. I do that because as a small child growing up, I used to collect GI Joes. And my mother's boyfriend at the time, at the age of 12, said, guy, boys shouldn't play with dolls and made me throw out my entire GI Joe and Batman collection. Not with the Kung Fu group. Not with the Way before that, man. Way before that. Today, I was just at a flea market where I saw some of the early 1960s figures with one hand like this and the other hand like this for a trigger finger that broke off when you're trying to put them in the trigger guards. I had the John Glenn Mercury capsule. I had the later Adventure Team stuff. I had the Rap Patrol stuff, and he made me throw it all out. What about the six million dollar man with the bionic eye? Remember that one? Nah, I was not. I was not that. You know, I have other friends of mine who are big into that. Yeah. For me, it was that and Batman. No. Batman, I could relate to. We play superheroes. I want to be Batman or Superman. Batman. Why not Superman? Superman is an alien. We dissect him. Batman was a tragic soul. I was. I was. I was in a household with a single mom. So when Batman was always an influential figure. And uh, I would read the comic books. And as I got older, you know, Batman was a master of 127 styles of martial arts. Peter, I've learned 60. I'm almost halfway to Batman. There are 90 techniques in the art of Hoshin Sul, which is the Korean pronunciation of Goshen Jutsu. Like the Hawaiian art I learned, Katazempo, Goshen Jutsu, the art of self-defense. One out of every three techniques in Tang Soo Do is a Kempo technique, if not more. Okay. They're either karate, jujitsu, or tangsu, which means what? China hand, karate. The original version for 1932, when the Japanese made the Okinawans change it from China hand to empty hand. Thank God it was still pronounced kata. The second half is yusul. Yusul, the gentle techniques, jujitsu, the gentle art. So, hapkido is based on Aikijutsu plus Taikion. Daito Uru Aikijujutsu plus Taikion, Korean kicking techniques. Nice. Who, who did you um, learn your Aikido from? Jack Leonardo. I didn't learn a lot of Aikido. I was really more into Jiu-Jitsu. I learned my Jiu-Jitsu originally from Carlos Ferrebrez and Nindo Ru. I learned it through um, later on working with David German in Budo Jiu-Jitsu and Thai, Transition Action Incorporated. I also worked with people who worked from Moses Powell's tradition, a Sanukis Ru Jiu-Jitsu. Um, also people from uh, uh, Professor V's tradition. Not so much. Other people that were more involved with Professor V, like Professor uh, Petronelli. And uh, I worked with gentleman uh, Lou Ferrer one time for a Professor V memorial. And I walked him and said, wow, that's interesting Lima Lama you're doing. And he stopped at his place and goes, how do you know it's Lima Lama? Because you've got the lay hand and you've got this. And, and he was like, it's Kempo. You're doing Kempo. But the Kempo version you're doing is Lima Lama because you're doing this, this, and this. Did you work with Tadashi Yamashita on Sui Kendo? So he was very taken aback by that. But those are my influences in jujitsu. And of course, worked with different individuals, um, got to meet different individuals in the Daito Ru Aiki Jujitsu and see the foundation of what Morei Yishiba would use to create Aikido. Uh, also, elements of Banwa. I learned Ying Fu Banwa so I could see the the palm changes and the transitions and learn the chin dive. Grab my wrist. Let's go for a ride. Let's dislocate your shoulder, elbow, and wrist. Blam. Single palm change. Have a nice day. What what style is Bagua? Is that like a a lock and ba- throw? Bagua is one of the three, actually four, internal martial arts. It involves walking the circle. Bagua, the eighth trigram palm. It was originally for, uh, developed by uh, Tongi, Kwan, Tongi Chuan who, uh, according to legend, was a eunuch in the uh, in the Imperial Palace and had learned these different palm changes and transition circular action. Allegedly, he learned to walk the circle by being a, a waiter and walking using the footwork, moving around the various tables to serve individuals. I never went to part three. There's yep. three things. Yeah, there's three things. So you had that man. Weaponry and karaoke. I've placed in, in uh, uh, various events, occasionally won at various karaoke contests. I have a wonderful singing voice. My favorite songs to sing are everything from Long Train Running by the Doobie Brothers to Some Kind of Wonderful by Grand Funk Railroad to more modern songs by like the Goo Goo Dolls. Which one by the Goo Goo Dolls? I do Iris 
Yeah. By Dobie Griffin, the original. That's... Give me the free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. You, you know, that's uh, Huck Planus' favorite song. That, that's Huck's favorite song. He used to actually play for Doobie Gray. Oh, I know. Yeah. He talked about it once and I was like, hey, Huck, you ever hear me sing it? Rebello, you sing? And he's always Rebello, the last name. Rebello, you sing? Yeah, I can do your favorite song. And it was like, beginning to think that I'm wasting time. I can't understand the things I do. The world outside looks so unkind. But I'm counting on you to carry me through. Oh, give me the beat, boy, to free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Oh, give me the beat, boy, to free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. That's for you, Huck. I'll have to get Huck to listen to that, dude. <laughs> I was just at to Las Vegas where I was inducted into the Kempo Karate Hall of Fame. And then two people received Lifetime Achievement Awards were Chuck Sullivan and Richard Huck Planis. Having oh. a full goatee kind of looks like he's doing impersonation of Master Roshi from uh, Dragon Ball Z. But, uh, Is he, that's his Huck mustache, right? His Huck look. Oh, he's got the Huck, he's got the Huck stash, the Huck goatee now. Yeah. Sure. So you, you've got another photo just there behind you with Mr. Parker. Is that the photo you're oh, yeah. talking about? So this is me and Mr. Parker from the IKK East Coast Instructors Camp from 1985. There we nice. are. Nice. You can find it on my Facebook page. Okay. Yeah, they're all they're all there. So tell us currently resides. Still in New, New Bedford. Bedford. New Bedford's. Bedford bread. And when I die, I'll be New Bedford dead. Yep. Have you traveled to teach in other countries? I have been to Canada before, but at the time, the passports weren't required to be long before COVID. Well, I've actually taught in Ed Parker's school. In Pasadena? Yep. Yep. I taught in 1991 there after they rebuilt it after the fire. Yep. Hey, so after the place burnt down, they needed a place to teach. Do you know who provided them with the warehouse location and got it for Mr. Parker? Very popular Beverly Hills dentist who was known as Dr. Roth. That's right. The father of David Lee Roth was instrumental in being the person who found another location for Mr. Parker to teach in the interim till the Pasadena School on Walnut Street was rebuilt. A lot of people don't know that. When you taught at the school, is that a good story at all? Oh, yeah, it was a wonderful story. I loved it. Mrs. Parker was the one who recommended me. Went down there and she knew me and the family knew me and they were like, Joe, why don't you come in? You're from the East Coast and whatnot. Be nice representation. So I came, I flew down there. I actually, I was actually talking to a girl from Bakersfield, California, who later became my girlfriend for a while. Man, you know, ignorance is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity, Mr. Parker said. Well, there's also blissful ignorance. It was a young girl from Bakersfield, California, who just got on the internet and contacted all these people that she saw with Kempo associated with their profiles on AOL. She didn't know she was contacting like half of the, the high-ranking black belts in all of Kempo. She just knew it was somebody who taught Kempo karate. She wanted to learn it. And I got in touch with her and uh, went to go meet her and went to the studio. And it was great same way I was working with Pat Salantri at the time at, the, at that studio for the seminar. So he said, Pat, and I'd been a professional wrestler. We had a big heavy bag sitting in the corner of the studio. And I said, Pat, this is what you're going to do. You're going to five swords to me, do the extension. You're going to hit me. I'm going to do a back roll, and I'm going to hit into the bag. Now, what I didn't tell Pat is when he hit me, I did a, a roll over, shot my legs apart, and hit spread eagle face first so that either one of my legs sat in either side of the bag, and my crotch hit right into the heavy bag. It was hilarious. I was like, you know, always got, I'm always, I'm a frustrated stand-up comedian, man. I'm always cracking jokes, always having fun. You know, Ed Parker had an incredible sense of humor. Some of the deadliest men I also met on the planet also were some of the funniest. He had the greatest sense of humor. You want to make Ed Parker's day, tell him a new joke he had never heard before. He loved that. He, just like Bruce Lee did, they loved that stuff. They just had great senses of humor. I'm really glad in certain depictions of, of Bruce that they put that sense of humor in there. Like in Dragon, he sits there and said, I've been running all over Hong Kong to try to get you, Bruce. What's Bruce say? You should use a car. 
<laughs> there was a sense of humor, and Mr. Parker was the same way. Yeah, yeah, no. But um, yeah, so, so uh, I was so I worked with Pat there, and was very honored and privileged to be there and to teach at Ed Parker's studio. Oh my God, you know how lucky was I? How blessed was I? How fortunate was I? I can actually sit there and say I taught at Ed Parker's school. Mm. Just a seminar. That's still pretty cool. That's pretty that's pretty cool. cool. I just went cool. by there recently for our Dragon Fest to see the building again, see the changes they've done to it and who owns it right now. I don't, I don't It's not a martial arts studio anymore. I forget what it is. They had just done a big expansion in the back. I was looking. I got pictures on my website. About it. Visit Mr. Okay. Parker's grave in Forest Lawn as well. You know. Um, let's talk about students of Ed Parker. One of his most famous students was Blake Edwards, the director of the Pink Panther films that he was featured in, Revenge of the Pink Panther and Curse of the Pink Panther, reprising his role of Mr. Chong from Hong Kong. So um, Blake Edwards' wife is Julie Andrews. So one day he's doing a class with Blake at his home and they're out on the veranda practicing and after the class, Julie sits there and says in her proper British accent, and would you like a sandwich? He goes, oh, that would be great. Thank you so much. So she goes into the kitchen to make a sandwich. Now, Mr. Parker Sally thinks, Maria, from the sound of music, is making me a sandwich. Mary Poppins is making me a sandwich. And it's just, really humbles him. And she comes back out with the sandwich and she goes, you know, Julie, and she preferred, you know, call me Julie. So he said, Julie, may I ask you a question? And she says, oh, of course I do. When I listen to you sing, I can't help but notice and be struck by the fact that I can hear every single word that you sing perfectly, clearly, and your articulation is Perfect. Why is that? She says, and when I was a young child during the war, my uh, my voice teacher would force me to sing every single syllable and to enunciate it with my mouth for each note and syllable of each word that I had to sing. Mr. Parker would let you take this and talk of a story of how we should pronounce our movements and not mumble motion. And that came from that story with Julie Andrews. Okay. And I've always wanted to ask Julie Andrews. She's been in New England once or twice, and I've always wanted to just go. I don't care if I walk through the back door. I don't care if I have to pull a ninja and just sneak in to see her. But I always, I know if I talk to her and I ask her that story, she'll talk about it. I would hope. Let's talk about, I know you've studied other martial arts, and you have yeah. over 27 black belts, right? 27? 24. 24. 24. 24. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, the first black belt I ever got was in Taekwondo and Taekwondo. Then I got my black belt in Karazempo Goshen Jitsu or, or New England based Kempo. Friend of mine is Michael Burton. His eyes will roll every time I call it that. The old studio called New England Kempo. But it really is the, the system of Kempo that George Vasari brought to New England from Burbank when he was in the Air Force, from training with Sonny Gascon. He in turn taught for uh, Nick Serio, who in turn taught Fred Bellari. And that whole lineage, John Dow, from the modern United Studios of Self-Defense with Charlie Matera, uh, the Shaolin Studios with Steve Damasco, uh, The Ultimate with Paul Taylor. They all come from that same lineage, Kempo. Uh, then um, uh, I worked with a gentleman, Bill Gregory, who was one of the three highest ranked people with uh, Daniel Kane Pai and Pai Lum or White Dragon Kung Fu, and also had his own system called Kaju Kenpo Pai Lum. And I received my fifth degree black belt from him in that. Um, I've also worked with uh, Bill Aguiar, who was the rightful inheritor to Count Dante's system. And I am an actual member of not only the World Karate Federation, which I really don't mention about this. The first time I'm really mentioning about this, you won't find it on most of my bios. I am a also certified fourth degree black belt from the Black Dragon Fighting Society. Bill Aguiar's not Ashita Kim's. 
not Frank Dukes, the actual real person who really trained with uh, John Kean, aka Countdown Day. Which basically, who did he go to train with after he after he left Robert Trias? Ed Parker. Again, another example. We've met the enemy. They are us. He did Kempo. So when you look at the world's deadliest fighting secrets, which by the way, if you watch uh, Elvis Presley from the New Gladiators, you'll actually watch him do a particular weird poison hand strike, inverted to strike the nose and the eyes. And that comes directly from Count Dante's book, The World's Deadliest Fighting Secrets. So even Elvis appreciated that book, which I'm going to be doing videos in the future, de detailing them out and explaining the rest of the story on that. Gosh, I also worked with Professor Kimo Ferreira uh, and worked in Kempo Jitsu Kai. I received, served, I got my black belt, uh, I tested for my black belt in front of him. I then worked with Carlos Febrez, where I tested and trained in several martial arts. Um, Nindoru Kobo Jitsu, Nindoru uh, Taijutsu, which is part of the uh, ninjutsu curriculum, uh, the body arts. Also uh, working with him in Nindoru Yaijutsu, uh, Japanese swordsmanship. Also working him with Nindoru Tato Do, the art of the, the knife techniques so or using the short knife. We also worked in Atemi Do, which is the, uh, the striking art or basically, which also is the version of uh, the various Kempo systems he learned. I was later certified in Okinawan Kempo, another system called Yoshu, Yoshu Kempo, which was part of uh, Shitose's Chitoru system of Kempo. Also Ryukyu Kempo as well. I also decided to work with Al Tracy. I met Mr. Tracy, I interviewed him for my TV show. And you know, Mr. Tracy, when I met him, he really didn't know me. I was doing my TV show and, um, you know, more like suspect and prospect. So at one point he's talking, he was angry with somebody else, not me. And he drops it to a front twist dance that does a sandwiching elbow. And I go, that's it, Parker. And he stopped for a moment. I said, sir, that is the ultimate compliment that I can pay you. You move just like your instructor. I worked with Mr. Parker. You dropped in that front twist, dropped your body weight, did the sandwiching elbow. That was beautiful. What could he say? We talked for the next eight hours after that. Went to his seminar, got to know him. Went to the first Gathering Eagles in 1999. He said, I said, do you have someone recording? Oh yeah, I got a guy that's going to do it for me, etc." There was no one there. There was no one to record all these masters like Sonny Gascon and, and Tino Tulio Sega, Lima Lamba and all these different individuals. No one recorded it. Broke my heart. So after that, a good friend of mine's from my AOL was a guy named John DeLuca, Teach Kempo. And then he was one of the Tracy Black Belts and New Tracy and Pat, New Alan Pat. So he's talking to him on the phone. He says, yeah, I was really upset. You know, we could have had all those people filmed and we didn't do it. And he goes, John goes, Mr. Tracy, I mean, Joe Rebello interviewed you before his TV show, didn't he? Oh yeah, great guy. We talked for hours, man. Yeah, didn't have an agenda, wasn't a Parker person who hated the Tracy's. Why don't you get Joe to do it? Wow, you know, that's a great idea. And Pat goes, yeah, I know Joe from AOL. He's a great guy. And, you know, and I, that, that breaks my heart that, you know, Pat's gone. We're doing a, a memorial for, for her tomorrow. She was a great woman. Just great sense of humor. We're a wonderful person. So Al hires me, brings me in, sits me in a room, says, we're going to bring in people, Joe. And you're going to interview them. And it's great because photoidentic memory, I remember all these articles. So I'm every, how do I know I've done my job, Pete? At every interview, I always get somebody going, and not if it's not during the interview, then after. How do you know that? Why do you know that? <laughs> and uh, one, of, one of the highlights was I got to interview Chose Matobu, Choki Matobu's son, who was a police chief of a, of a town in Japan. And I got to talk to him. And with the assistance of Professor Kimo Ferreira's wife, Kiko, who spoke Japanese and was translating, but both of them didn't know I spoke some Japanese. So as we're sitting, oh, konnichiwa, konnichiwa, Motobu-sensei. Kuri, o genki desu ka? Kuri, it's like, the Nippon, yeah, hai, wakemasu ka, Nippon? It says, hai. Cool. So I'm talking to him about his father's form, Nihanchi, the way he learned it, because I was only a main kata behind another one called uh, 
Shirokuma, the white bear. And I try him with the 12 techniques. Well, he then proceeds to demonstrate the form and the 12 techniques. We also had people like Bill Rosaki, Ted Tabora, straight down the line. We did great interviews. It just worked out very well. I get a call from Mel Tracy. Joe, I saw the footage. I'm really Joe, how'd you get him to do it? Get who? Watoho. Watoho's never demonstrated before. Never let anyone record it. How'd you get him? I asked nicely in Japanese. That's amazing. You know, this is the first time that Chosei Motobu has ever demonstrated his father's 12 techniques and in the Hanchikata on video. I said, yeah, the, the late checks are in there, the diagonal pull downs, the, the inward elbow and sandwich. It's all there. It's all we, you know, yeah, we met the enemy. They are us. Years later, I would find out he also studied the other Motobu lineage of the uh, Udonde or the palace hand, which is a lot of manipulation similar to Aikido and Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, at one point, I had him demonstrate those 12 techniques from his father and the Udonde on me. And I have photos of it. He's cranking me and dropping me because he's a little upset. I asked him to demonstrate it. It was a famous rare art. But I'm like, you know, these guys will never see it. These guys don't know. These, these guys from Rhode Island will never see that. And I'll never get to feel it except when he does it to me. The 24 different styles that you've done? That's some of them. David German's tie. Uh, my trade with David German. He. Uh, it was funny. He was going to promote me to eighth degree black belt. I never asked for rank. I was that. I wasn't wired that way. I was always, you know, Al Trace told a great story where he said, you know, Joe, do you know how you become a master? And I mentioned different ways of being. He goes, Joe, you become a master when the masters invite you to the table, and they're only going to invite you once. Well, Pete, I've kind of lucked out. They've invited me a few times now. Because I'm not asking. I'm not. Here's my joke I have. I'm not waving my belt asking to put another stripe on it. That's not how I'm wired. If they want to do it and they want to acknowledge my accomplishments, cool. That's okay. And I appreciate that. And you know what? That's the hard way to get it. Not waving your belt going, hey, I need another stripe. No, man. If I do what I do and you know I do what I do and I can perform it, then you choose to acknowledge me. And that's what makes it all worthwhile. That's the hard way to get it. Wasn't well, a traditional way your instructor tells you? you know, one of my sort of college friends, shut up and take it. He asked me my four when I was working on uh, Kobujitsu. And I was working with him because he did Okinawa and Kempo and he did Kobujitsu. He was teaching ninjutsu. I said, no, man, you're the only guy in the area that can rank me in Kobudo and Kobujitsu. You trained with people like people like Kimo Wall from Shinpo or Matayoshi in his tradition. You trained with, uh, with the instructor from Fusei Kise and his Okinawan Kobujutsu tradition. You trained in Ryukyu Kempo and Okinawan Kempo from Shikichi Oro's lineage. Hook me up, bro. I want to learn. Huh. No one's ever asked me that before. I got to think about that. What do you think about it? How long have you been teaching now for? 44 years. 44. And... Your school or organization, is it Joe Rebello's Kenpo, is that right, or martial arts? Rebello's Kenpo Karate. Now, this patch is actually based on an original patch that Leo Lacerda designed, which was based on uh, two different Kung Fu patches. So he had one, uh, um, the, the Wuchan Institute, which means uh, Wuchan, Wu is martial, Chun is penetration. It means when you penetrate through a person's guard to get to hit him. And uh, we use the term chuanfa at that point, which is the Mandarin Chinese pronunciation in the Kempo. Later on, I would take the basic design, I would change the colors I'd make instead of uh, yellow and uh, I would go gold, I would use uh, a white. And the outline is like the white belts who hold the art together. The black belt is for the fraternity and sorority of black belts, so brotherhood and sisterhood of black belts. The red symbolizes the levels of mastery and professorship. Across the top is the name of your instructor, Rebellos. Never to be forgotten, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. Always remember your training at Rebellos Kenpo Karate. Kenpo, of course, the law of the fist and karate. If you notice, the kanji for karate is not placed on you. So you can say China hand or later empty hand. It's not preferential in one. I prefer China hand because of a Chinese influence. 
Ken Ball, The Law of the Fist. In the center is the eagle claw, or variation on the Kempo hand sword. That through this one hand position, we can do multiple strikes. I can drive with my thumb. I can poke with my two fingers. I can rake like a tiger claw. I can chop with the knife edge. I can drop with the ox, ox jaw with heel my palm. I can do all of these actions off this single hand position. And that's where the idea came from. And of course, K at the bottom, like Mr. Parker's patch, stands for Kempo and Karate. Last but not least, a diamond is a reference to the Southern styles of Kung Fu that Leo had originally learned with Hungar Kung Fu and I had as well. And of course, many of the influences of Mr. Parker are Southern as well as Northern style Kung Fu. Here's another one for you, Pete. Did you know that the very first two techniques in long form and short, long form and short form four come from Northern praying mantis Kung Fu? Nice. Nice. So here we're doing a southern system, but our first two techniques from his training with Jimmy Win Wu are northern style techniques. And they're two of the foundations of the techniques taught in Northern Praying Mantis. And how do I know? I do. I teach Northern Praying Mantis. The moment I start the first two techniques, I know you're doing Mantis. Wow, that's Mantis. Move on a diagonal, stop the Shaolin movement straight. I move off on a diagonal, seven star footwork. I'm like double parry, moving off, blocking two hands instead of one. The inside of the left, the outside of the right, inside as opposed to outside, left as opposed to right, a palm as opposed to a knife edge. It's all there. It's category completion. Oh, remember, Ed Parker never said category completion. Ooh. Yeah, but on seven years that I knew him on several occasions, he said for every move, theory, concept, principle, and definition, there is an opposite and a reverse. All my students, Peter, memorize that like they know their own name. And then I show them how it is in their individual art, whether it's Ed Parker's American Kempo, David German's Thai, Kempo Jiu-Jitsu, Northern Praying Mantis Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Okinawan Weaponry, Filipino Stick and Knife Fighting, Japanese Swordsmanship, Jiu-Jitsu. I just show you where it is, man. Yeah. So what styles do you teach at your school? I just told you. All of them. All of them. Yeah, yeah. All of them separately. Yep. Okay. I, but I cross reference with it by like in, in the Filipino arts, we do an art we call effects, which is uh, American Filipino Arnis Eskrima Kali training system. It's a various Filipino martial arts I've learned modern Anis, Anis Lanada, Anis Abano Abanico Lapunti, Serada Eskrima, Kali, and showing you using Ed Parker's terminology. Nothing against the Filipino masters, but, you know, there's a language barrier and a problem sometimes. Ed Parker gave us the ability to logically and analytically explain things. Yes, yeah. Instead of just do it. That's a number one. That's a number two. No, that's an inward, downward, diagonal, palm up. That's an outward, downward, diagonal, palm down. No, that's an inward, horizontal, palm up. I'll still use the numbers, but let's explain things. How many black belts do you have under your lineage? It depends on the art. Well, um, I have black belts in Kempo. I have black belts in Okinawan weaponry. I have black belts in Filipino stick and knife fighting. I have black belts in uh, I have uh, sifus in Northern Praying Mantis Kung Fu. So I got a bunch in all different arts. And that's the beauty of the art. I worked with everybody from first to ninth degree black belts in Mr. Parker's system and other systems of Kempo. I just worked with a gentleman who's a seventh degree black on Kempo, owns six schools, and he gave me the greatest compliment in the world. And we weren't going over Mr. Parker's system. We were going over Katazempo Go Jiu-Jitsu and that lineage. And what humbled me is when he sat there and said, Mr. Rebello, you just gave me the most analytical, comprehensive breakdown of my own system in two and a half hours that I've ever had in my training as a black Wow. I do my job. With Mr. Parker's passing and not having a successor, what do you envisage as the future lineage of for your system? And okay. what, what message would you have for your students? Okay. Well, first of all, let's clear that. So everybody say, oh, Ed Parker didn't have a successor. Look, I want to be frank and honest, okay? And if people don't like it, eh. He had a successor, Larry Tatum. Larry was supposed to be the golden boy. He was supposed to be the protege. That's who he was supposed to have. Things happen. I could go into it. I'm not. But Larry left. But Larry Tatum was supposed to be the guy. Mr. Parker goes home. 
Without saying a word, he goes upstairs, doesn't say a word to his wife or his family, goes straight up, goes to his bedroom. Closes the door, slams it. Mrs. Parker knew sometimes just to leave her husband alone. But she'd never seen him like this. She goes upstairs. And Parker's sitting on his bed, crying, and face in his hands, weeping. This told me by Mrs. Parker, by the way. She says, I lost my boy. I lost my boy. And now it's not Big Ed Parker, 10th degree black belt. It's a man who worked with someone, believed in him, dealt with him. Things happen. Ed Parker had been taken a couple of times by, by con men for huge amounts of money. He was just so humble. And, his, and the foundation of Ed Parker as a man was just a simple Hawaiian boy from Kalihi. So after that point, he specifically put in the IKK newsletter, you can find it. I'm putting together a board of black belts that will be regional directors and work on a national level, approximately 16 to 20 people. Now, a lot of people, if you really know the Kempo world, you know who's left and who's who in the zoo who we had planned to help out. He mentioned it before he died, but then he died. So it was never fully implemented. But that was his plan. As we conclude this awe-inspiring journey through part two of the Mind Sensei podcast featuring the unparalleled Grandmaster Joe Rubello, I hope you've been captivated and enlightened as I have. Today we delve deeper into the rich tapestry of martial arts history guided by the incomparable wisdom of Grandmaster Joe Rubello. A martial arts historian of extraordinary calibre, Grandmaster Joe Rubello shared insight stories and perspectives that truly make him a walking encyclopedia of this incredible discipline. From his vast collection of books, magazines and videos to his first-hand experiences, every moment spent unravelling the layers of martial arts history that has been a treasure trove of knowledge. But our journey is not over yet. This is just the midpoint of our three-part series with Grandmaster Joe Rubello. If part one was the foundation and part two is the exploration of history, part three promises to be the grand finale where we gaze into the future of martial arts through the eyes of this living legend. Before we close, a heartfelt thank you to Grandmaster Joe Rubello for generously sharing his time, wisdom and unparalleled experiences with us. Your presence has truly made this podcast series a masterpiece and we're grateful for the opportunity to learn from a true martial arts maestro. To our listeners, don't miss out on the conclusion episode. Part 3 is just around the corner and it's going to be an epic culmination of this incredible journey with Grandmaster Joe Rubello. So mark your calendars, stay tuned and thank you for joining us on the Mind Sensei podcast. Until next time, keep the martial spirit alive. Stay connected, stay inspired and always remember, the path of a true martial artist is one of continual growth and inspiration. Until next time, keep the spirit alive. Stay tuned for more captivating episodes on the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, signing off. For more information on Master Joe Rubello, he can be contacted on Instagram on Joe underscore Rubello, also at his website on www.kenpojoe.com, also on Twitter at Joe underscore Rubello, Facebook page joe.rubello.39, be contacted on his email at kempojoe at aol.com and also on his YouTube channel at kempojoe1. It's also available for lessons at his studio location in New Bedford at Rebello's Kempo Karate, 88 Hatch Street, Suite 312, New Bedford, Massachusetts, 02745. Phone number plus one seven seven four three six zero four one one six or you can read the links in our show notes. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and you've tuned in to the Mind Sensei podcast from Down Under. 
We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. We also encourage you to visit our website at mindsensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site, you can read blog posts, videos, and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast down under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.